Well, if you've uh, been around for uh, a little bit, uh, we just finished a series uh, through Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And uh, we spent an entire year, uh, we started last September and we just finished uh, two weekends ago, uh, and it was, or three weekends ago, uh, and it was a really, I think, a very powerful series, and it certainly took a long time to walk through 16 chapters of, uh, of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Uh, but one of the reasons, and I'd say one of the primary reasons that we went through uh, Paul's letter to the, Ro- to the Romans is Paul clearly articulates uh, to the church in Rome, this is Christianity. This is the gospel. This is what it means to have a relationship with God. This is how we can have a relationship with God. And so our heart was not only that we would know Christianity, not only that we would know the gospel, but we want the gospel to begin working in us and through us. So we spent an entire year walking through a phenomenal, phenomenal letter uh, called Romans. Uh, now, months ago, uh, the elders and I were talking about what's next. You know, we've been in Romans for uh, a good long while. Uh, so, Lord, what do you have next for our community? And uh, we really sensed that what the Lord wanted us uh, to do was this thing called encounters. And the heart behind encounters is simply this. We don't want to be a church um, that knows a lot about the gospel and Christianity. We don't want to be a church and Christians and just people who have a lot of head knowledge and would be great at Bible Jeopardy and could answer lots of questions about theology and doctrine. We want it to be people that live very differently because of how we have been encountered by Jesus. We want it to be people who don't know a bunch of things. We want to be people who live very differently day to day because of Jesus. And not only live differently because of Jesus, but we want the encounters that we have every single day with the people around us, we want those to be shaped and formed by the encounters that we've had with Jesus. And so our heart really behind this series is we believe that Jesus not only impacts us, but Jesus works in us so that through us, we begin to impact those around us. Did you catch that? Jesus is at work in us, but it's not just so that we can, Jesus and me, it's Jesus wants to be at work in us, so that through us, he be, we can, with Jesus, begin to impact those that are around us. So for the next uh, 12 weeks, we're gonna, this is going to take us up through the Christmas season. We're going to examine 12 different stories of encounters that people had with Jesus. Uh, And we're going to specifically look, what happened to that person? When they had an encounter with Jesus, what became of that individual? How was their life different? How was their life changed? Uh, And the second thing we're going to look at is, how did that person who had an encounter with Jesus, how did they begin to encounter the people or the world around us? Now, I wanted to offer a challenge uh, at the very beginning of this new series, um, And the challenge is this, to be prepared or to be ready to have an answer to these questions. How is Jesus encountering you where you are? So as you're here today, how is Jesus encountering you? Like what are you learning or paying attention to what you're being convicted by or paying attention to what you're being inspired by? My conviction is, my belief is that Jesus wants to encounter you, not just on a one-off experience or just on a Sunday morning but every day throughout the week. And so to be paying attention of how is Jesus encountering you right now where you are. 
And then the second question is, how does Jesus want to use you to encounter those around you? Really, I hope through this series that we'll move beyond just Jesus and me, but Jesus at work in me, impacting those around me. Now, uh, crucial to this series is going to be story uh, and testimony. So over the next few weeks, you're gonna, I'm going to be bringing people up on stage to share their story, to share their testimony of how Jesus has encountered them and what their life has become because of an encounter with Jesus and how they see Jesus at work around them encountering others. Uh, so you'll hear a handful of stories, which I'm pretty excited to, for you to hear those, those uh, stories and testimonies. Uh, but I would venture to say, uh, and this is not just another plug for community groups, but <clears throat> community groups is a time where you can be sharing stories every single week. Stories of what you see God doing, seeing things that you're learning, and being inspired and encouraged by others and what God's doing in their lives. Uh, so I really hope that these next 12 weeks will be filled with stories of what you see God doing in you, with you, around you, and specifically with the people that are around you. Now, the reality is that Jesus desires to encounter us daily so that we would begin to encounter those uh, around us uh, as well. So please, over this next 12 weeks, pay special attention to Jesus. What are you doing? And keeping your eyes wide open to the people that are around you and how Jesus might want you to encounter them. Now, before uh, this morning, we look at uh, a story of mission. Uh, that's the story this morning we're going to look at is a story of mission. I wanted you to answer this question. If some, and this is not a hypothet hypothetical question because it's a good chance you've been asked this or someone would ask you this, but the question is, if someone were to ask you, how has your encounter or encounters with Jesus impacted you, what would you say? Someone just comes up to you and says, how has Jesus impacted you? I know you go to church. I know you do these things called community groups. I, I know you serve, you give, you, you know, I kind of, I, I observe these things. So how has Jesus, because you talk about him, how is Jesus and your encounter with him, how has that actually impacted you? Now it's, we all have differing stories of how we would answer that question. But the point of the question is, you cannot be around Jesus and not have been impacted by Jesus. Now, as you look, especially obviously in the New Testament, uh, the people that were encountered literally by Jesus, there were some people who chose to follow him. There were some people who decided just to argue with him and debate him. And there were some people who chose just to completely reject him, doubt him, deny him, betray him. No matter who you are and where you are, just even me mentioning the name of Jesus right now, Jesus is encountering you just through that. And so the question is, how would you answer, someone asks you, how has Jesus impacted you? Now for me, I'll answer my own question. I would say the biggest thing that I would simply say, if someone asked me, Michael, how has your encounter with Jesus impacted you or shaped you? Uh, and I would probably say this, this uh, the answer the question this way. I would say I've, I've learned a lot about and I understand what grace is. I used to live my life trying to perform and live in such a way as to get something from God. But because of Jesus and my encounter with Jesus, I no longer live in order to get something from God. 
I live my life in light of all that I have received from God in Jesus. I know the thing that Jesus and my relationship and how Jesus has encountered me is he set me free from a performance-driven faith, thinking if I did this or if I did that, somehow I would find good standing, good favor with God. This is how Jesus and my being encountered by Jesus has impacted me is grace. And because grace and Jesus has taught me and I'm still learning and growing in grace, it's now beginning to impact how I understand and relate with the world around me, how I pursue people and how I seek to love people, not seeking to get something from them or manipulate them. I don't try to build relationships with people in hopes that I can somehow dominate them or just use them. I build relationships with people because God's grace is at work in me and he's given me a heart. I'm not saying I'm there yet, but he's given me a heart, a heart that's growing in love for people. I'd say grace. That's what Jesus is, is doing in me. How about you? Seems like a simple question, but yet if someone were just to ask you on the street, what would you say? How has your encounter with Jesus shaped you or impacted you? Now, the first story that uh, we're going to look at is a story of mission. And we're going to look at the story of, of Peter. Uh, his name's Simon, Simon Peter, uh, and a conversation, an encounter that Simon Peter had with Jesus on the beach one day. And before I read this story, and we're talking about mission, I want to ask the question, uh, would you say that your life is one of mission? Okay, would you say that your life is a life of mission, meaning all of your life is filtered through the mission you're on, or is all of your life filtered through the moment you're in? Is how you live life filtered through the mission that you are on, so everything that happens to you, good, bad, and different, is seen through, filtered through the mission that you see your life is on? Or do you see all of your life filtered through just the moment that you happen to be in? Now, there's a huge, huge difference between those two two answers. Now, I think the reality for many is that much, if not all of life, is filtered through the moments rather than the mission. I think when we encounter Jesus, it's not that we don't have moments anymore, but our life is not filtered through moments of up and down, up and down the roller coaster. Our life is now, those moments are filtered through the mission that Jesus specifically has for us. Now, prior to this encounter that Peter had with Jesus, uh, Peter knew Jesus at some level. And if we're going to read a story in Luke chapter 5, but in Luke chapter 4, just the verses right before this story, Jesus was actually at Peter's house. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law, uh, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law from a very uh, high fever, as Scripture records. Now, I'm assuming Peter loved his mother-in-law and was excited for Jesus to heal his mother-in-law, at least I hope he was, but he already saw Jesus at work in his own family, in his own home. And as his mother was, mother-in-law was healed, countless numbers of people began coming to Jesus saying, will you heal me of this and heal me of this and will you cast this demon out? And so Peter is seeing Jesus heal all of these people. And by the end of the evening, Jesus is completely wiped out and it says early the next morning, he went to look for a quiet place just to be 
with God in a quiet place of solitude to pray. But the people came looking for Jesus and said, Jesus, will you stay with us? Please don't leave us. We, we like you here. You're, you're having an impact here. And I love what Jesus responds in Luke chapter 4, verse 43. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Now, as I've already said, before the beach, Peter had already encountered Jesus in a profound way. At least, if anything, he watched Jesus do some incredible miracles. Uh, And before the beach, Jesus made clear why he was sent. And Jesus made clear, I've come to preach the gospel. I've come that people who don't know God would know God. This is my mission. This is what I'm giving myself to. So Peter already had, you know, observed Jesus at least, but then he also heard Jesus clearly articulate, this is what my mission is. Luke chapter 5, start verse 1 and 2 says this, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, uh, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. Now Jesus is on the beach here teaching people God's word, and as the crowds pressed in, Jesus said, I need some more room. So he hopped into a boat, and it's, he can push off and you know, teach the people as they crowd around uh, the shoreline. Now, notice two things that Luke includes in this just first two verses. There's two boats, and there's some fishermen washing their nets. Now, these details might not seem at all very important to us, but they're important enough for Luke to mention, and I'll tell you two reasons why. Paul or Luke mentions there's two boats. In other words, you'll see this later on in the story, there will be other people impacted by Jesus' encounter with uh, Jesus. Okay, Not just one boat, but there's now two. What is going to happen with Peter is going to have a huge impact on Peter's partners, Peter's uh, business partners, Peter's friends. And then secondly, the detail says they were fishermen washing their nets. Now, I'm not a fisherman, but If you don't wash your nets, and this is first century, if you did not clean out your nets, they would get all dried up and nasty and crumble and would be of no use or no good. And so this detail of their washing their nets is a pretty significant detail. Do you know why? Well, because Luke is trying to say these guys were washing their nets because they weren't done with them. They were planning on using them again. Okay, They had no inkling that In a moment's time, Peter, specifically, his life would be forever changed. He had no idea that this would be the last time he'd wash these nets because of his encounter with Jesus. I think it's a pretty cool detail. He's washing, but he has no idea that that would be the last time he would wash those nets. He thought he would use them again, but Jesus had something else in mind. Luke 5, verse 3. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, we don't really know much about Peter, and you can speculate as, well, why did he hop in Peter's boat? I just love that he hopped in the boat and uh, didn't necessarily ask for permission. He just jumped in. But, (coughs) excuse me, it's safe to say that Peter was not necessarily looking for some dramatic life change. It wasn't like Jesus found Peter standing in line at the temple taking classes on how to be the next spiritual leader in first century Jerusalem. Okay, 
Peter encountered Jesus in the midst of his business, in the midst of his everyday thing. Peter wasn't looking for this. He wasn't looking for change. Peter was a, a fisherman by trade. He was doing fine running a fishing business. But one of the things that you will see as you are encountered by Jesus, and clearly Peter is about to see this, Jesus has a way of interrupting life as we know it so that we might begin living life as he knows it. Jesus has a way of interrupting life as you and I know it in order that through our encounter with Jesus, we might begin to live the life that he has, that he knows. Now, I think for most of us, this is a common fear in this whole idea of being encountered by Jesus. The fear being, ultimately, Jesus will interrupt life as I know it and redirect the course of my life, and ultimately, he's going to have me doing stuff I don't want to do. So I prefer not to be encountered by Jesus because I'm pretty content and happy in where I'm at. I'm content doing, or where the fear is, he'll have me do something that is way beyond my comfort zone. Uh, it's a good chance that's going to happen if you are encountered by Jesus. Bless you. It's a good chance he will have me building relationships with people that I don't really like. They don't look like me. They don't think like me. They don't like act like me. And it's a good chance that if I'm encountered by Jesus, he's going to call me to love people that I really don't love. Ah, that's probably going to happen as well. It's a good chance that Jesus would have me change things that I just don't really want changed in my life. I'm content with where I'm at. Well, if you are encountered by Jesus, it is a good chance that there will be change that will ensue. Or I think some of us are fearful to be encountered by Jesus because it might mean I've got to give up certain sins that I know are sins, but they're not really that big of a sins, and ultimately I really enjoy them. So that's yeah, a good chance if you're encountered by Jesus not only will there be change in lifestyle, but there will be change in choices. Namely, not just pursuing what you want, but pursuing what God has for you. Now, the list could go on, but as Peter's about to find out, Jesus does not leave us unchanged. If you are encountered by Jesus, it is not an option for you to stay as you are and stay where you are. And I'm not talking about geographics. Luke 5, verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Peter, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Jesus makes a pretty simple request to, to request. He says, Peter, go into the deep water. Now, this is not that big of a request, but Peter's day is over. I'm guessing he's pretty tired. And the thought of going out into deep water is at least another 100, 200 yards out. So it's not like just it's going to take two seconds to do this and to get there. It's a request of, Peter, I realize you thought you were done, but I'm asking you to go a little bit further here. And the second request is, put down the nets so we can catch some fish. <clears throat> now, Jesus is a carpenter, doesn't really know anything about fishing, at least in Peter's mind. And in Peter's mind, this concept of putting down the nets so we can catch some fish would go against everything that Peter knows about fishing. There's a reason that Peter was fishing with nets in the evening because that's when you catch fish. You don't go fishing in the middle of the morning, uh, early morning, certainly in the deep water. Why? Because there's no fish. That's not where they are. So this request of Jesus at best would seem a little bit crazy. 
Excuse me. Now, before we look at what Peter did, and it's a great response, what would you do? Jesus asks you to do something that you know it's just not going to work. You know at face value the request that Jesus, what he's asking you to do is not only a bit crazy and ridiculous, you just know it won't work. Peter knew fishing in the middle of the morning in the deep waters, that's, it wouldn't work. That's not how it goes. So if Jesus were to ask you crazy request, a request you know wouldn't work, what do you do? Would you kind of just say, well, I don't know, if Jesus said it, I guess I'll do it. Or would you say and just kind of shrug your shoulders and beg, Jesus, you have no clue what you're talking about because it just won't work. This situation, this circumstance, this person, they won't respond, Jesus, like I think you're telling me to go and initiate, whatever the situation might be. Now, Peter, I'll call this Peter's matrix moment of, Peter, are you going to take the red pill or are you going to take the blue pill? The blue pill would represent, Jesus, I'm not listening to you, and this story ends right now. Get out of my boat. I'm going home, and I'm going to go catch some sleep. The red pill represents, all right, let's see how far this rabbit trail goes. I'll, I'll take you into the deep water, and I'll, take, and I'll put my nets down and see what happens. Now, thankfully, Peter took the red pill. Luke 5, verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. You can just kind of feel the pain and in, in the annoyance and the frustration of, Jesus, you just don't get it. Man, we're not only tired from being out all night, but we're actually feeling really defeated that we're fishermen who didn't catch any fish. Therefore, we don't have any money to sell or to fish to sell to make money to feed our families. So this was a really bad day, Jesus. This is really bad timing. But Peter says, because you say so, I will let down the nets. It's this decision in Peter's life. It's this encounter in this moment that would set the course of Peter's life in a totally new direction. As I was studying and reading this week, I'd never thought about that. I'd never seen it like that. But depending on what Peter does in this moment, if he says, no, Jesus, get out of my boat, it's a good chance this story doesn't make it in Scripture and you'd have no clue who Simon Peter is. It's in this moment where Peter is confronted with a crisis of belief, as it were, of what am I going to do? Am I going to follow my natural instinct and do what my natural instinct tells me to do, which this is crazy, this won't work? Or will I have that moment where I say, well, Jesus, because you say so, I will do it. Now, Peter, I'm thankful that he chose the latter. He said, because you say so, Jesus, I will do it. There was a willingness on Peter's behalf to, to surrender to Jesus's word. Jesus, because you say so, I'll do it. How often is that coming out of your mouth? Or do these phrases sound a little bit more familiar? That doesn't make any sense. I certainly can't do that. I can't do that right now. This is really bad timing. Maybe another day, maybe another week, maybe another month, maybe next year. Jesus, this is a really bad season for me to do that. Or are you saying, well, it doesn't make sense. The timing's horrific. I'm in a terrible mood. In the... Or do you just say, because you say so, Jesus, I will do it. 
Now, for Peter, he concluded that because Jesus said it, it was enough. Meaning because Jesus initiated some movement, he decided to follow where Jesus wanted to go. Luke 5, 6, and 7 says, When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Enter the second boat. Not just an abstract detail. Enter the second boat now. The catch of fish they catch fish in a place where there should not have been any fish, and the catch was so large, the nets are breaking and the boats are beginning to sink. Now, I've been to the Sea of Galilee, and they've got replicas of what these first century fishermen boats would have looked like, and they're pretty big, okay? Pretty big wooden boats, 30, 40 feet long. And I can't do the math of how many fish does it take to sink a boat, but I'm guessing it's, it's more than a handful, I can't imagine what the scene would have looked like, just fish everywhere, and the boats begin to sink. Now, I'm pretty sure Peter would have been happy with just one fish, because he didn't have anything. Pretty sure he would have been happy with a dozen, maybe two dozen fish, but he gets boatloads. And as I was wondering, Jesus, why do you give Peter two boatloads of breaking nets full of fish? Why'd you do that? Now, this is a bit speculation here, but I wonder if Jesus was really painting a picture for Peter. Peter, hold on, man, because your life is not going to be about catching boatloads and piles and piles of fish. Peter, I'm giving you a picture of what your life is about to look like, and it's not going to be catching piles and boatloads of fish, but it's going to be introducing piles and piles and boatloads and boatloads of people to Jesus, so much so that you will be overwhelmed, Peter, with what I have in store for you. Luke chapter 5, verse 8, the story goes on. It says this, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Now, most would think a pretty appropriate response would be just to say, well, thank you. How do I respond to two boatloads of fish? It seems like a thank you would be a good starting point, not a confession of I'm a sinful man. So why did Peter, of all the things that he could have said, why does he drop down to his knees and confess to Jesus, I am a sinful man? I think the answer is when one encounters Jesus, there must be a transition from seeing Jesus as an authority. He called him master. There's got to be a transition of seeing Jesus as an authority to seeing Jesus as the authority. There's a transition from Peter saying, Master, because you said so, I'll do it, to now, Lord, I am a sinful man. Peter realized that he was not just standing in the presence of a carpenter who happened to be really good at fishing, apparently. Peter quickly realized that he was standing in the presence of a holy man. And when you're standing in the presence of the holy, the divine, you realize real quickly, wow, I'm nothing like that. That's not me. And when you're standing in the presence of holiness, the best thing to do is fall down to your knees. A sign of humility, a sign of worship, 
But Peter coupled humility and worship with a confession of, I am a sinful man. And I love what Jesus does next for Peter. He says in Luke uh, chapter 10, uh, or chapter 5, verse 10, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Love that Peter, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, do not be afraid. Why is, Peter, why is Jesus telling Peter this? Well, he's telling Peter this, and consequently, he's telling you this as well, is that Jesus does not turn his back on sinful people. Jesus embraces, Jesus loves, Jesus forgives, Jesus is merciful, Jesus is kind. In the presence of Jesus, I do not need to be afraid of what Jesus will do with me as a sinner. Why? Because Jesus said to Peter, don't be afraid, Peter. And I love the second thing that he tells Peter. Peter, I've got a new mission for you. You're going to catch men. Now, rather, Jesus clearly could have just said, well, since you're a professed sinner, man, I got no place for you on my team. Dude, with your own words, you just condemned yourself and called yourself a sinner. So why on earth would I want you on team Jesus? Isn't it amazing that Jesus responds to Peter, just confessed on bended knee, I am a sinful man. And not just a sinner who sinned. He's not confessing like, oh, I'm sorry I didn't do this quicker, or I'm sorry I've had a bad attitude, I was kind of tired. He confesses the condition of my personhood is I am a sinful man. And I love that Jesus says, Peter, you have a place not only on my team, but Peter, I have a mission that is perfect for you. And Peter, here's your mission. I'm going to use you, a sinful man, to catch other sinful people so that those sinful people will also know that they do not need to be afraid in the presence of Jesus. Why? Because he loves, he forgives, and he's merciful, and he's gracious. Peter's mission moving forward would be to catch men. No longer literally being a fisherman who catches fish, but a man who would give himself his life to helping other people find God. So the last question in this story is one of Peter's response. How would he respond to this new mission? Well, the last verse in the story, verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. I love, there was no washing the nets. There was no counting this piles and piles and piles of fish. They pulled their boat up on shore, and they began a journey with Jesus that would radically reshape life uh, as they knew it. Now, this might be uh, a challenging question to answer for yourselves, but it's this. What would you have done? What would you have done in light of what you've just seen, in light of what you've just witnessed? Would your response been of Peter and his, and his friends pulled up on shore, left the nets, left the boats and the piles of fish, and just followed? Or... I think a lot of us would at least ask Jesus, can I have some more details? Jesus, before I take another step with you, is this a paying job? Is this like a, a part-time thing? Is this a, a full-time thing? 
Is there hazard pay involved in, in, in this? Jesus, where exactly are we going? Jesus, how long are we going to be there? Jesus, how are we going to get there? Jesus, what are we going to do literally day to day? Peter, and I'm not saying he never asked Jesus questions. He clearly did. But in this moment of decision of what is he going to do, he put down his nets, he walked away from the pile of fish, and he also put down his questions. Bring it back to you. What would you do? Would you hit Jesus up with a list of questions of what about this, what about that, or would you have followed? Now, I know for me personally, and you might not agree with this, but I'm thankful that God often protects me personally from the details. I'm the guy who wants the details. I'm the guy who wants to know how it's all going to work out. What is it really going to look like? How long is it going to take? How painful is this going to be? I want the details, but I'm so thankful that God has protected me often from the details. Because the more details I have, the more I try to manipulate those details to change. The more details I have, I try to manipulate an outcome that I think might be better than the outcome that Jesus might have in mind. The more details I have, the more I try to control the situation to make sure that this outcome actually becomes a reality. Now, can you imagine if Jesus gave them the details of the journey and he said this, hey guys, follow me and your life will never be the same. It will be difficult, filled with a lot of rejection. People will mock you, even hate you. You will fail innumerable times along the way. Satan will try to take you down and the Romans and Jews will come after your life and kill you when they're done with me. Well, Jesus, thanks, thanks for sharing with us the details. We actually didn't want the details. Can we have a take back, please? Or can you imagine if Jesus actually said, hey, fellows, follow me. In 2,000 years from now, people will still be talking about you, your great faith, your relentless commitment to follow me. Either way, if they had any of the details, it becomes not about the one you're following. It becomes quickly about the follower. God protects us from the details so that we don't make following about us and lose sight of who we're following. So just I'll bring it back. What would you have done? When Peter was encountered by Jesus on the beach that day, he had absolutely no idea that his life would radically change. And I honestly hope that this will become true of many of us here today. You thought you were just coming to church. Sing a few songs, listen to a message, shake a few hands, and go on your merry way. What if this is the day that God has brought you to this place in order to encounter you so that you would begin living life not as you see fit, but living the life that God has for you. An encounter with Jesus radically redefined and reshaped Peter's life. Specifically, specifically, Peter now had a mission to give himself to. Now, I asked you this question at the very beginning of this message, is all of your life filtered through God's mission for you, or is all of your life filtered through the moment you're in? Peter would have to have said, oh, my life is filtered through the moments I'm in. It was a bad night of fishing, so I'll do this, or it was, it was moment to moment. 
But now, one encounter with Jesus, and Peter's life would be filtered through the mission that God had for him. And I want to be crystal clear of what this mission is. It is helping people begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is the mission that Jesus invited Peter to. And if you have been encountered with Jesus, this is the mission that we have been invited to. I want to keep it as simple as I can. The mission is helping people who don't know God come to know God. Helping people who don't have a relationship with God begin a relationship with Jesus. I wanted to finish by, I guess, practically uh, answering the question of, well, what does it really look like? What does it mean to filter all of life through God's mission? Because I know what it's like to filter life through the moments. It's a roller coaster filled with lots of ups and downs, depressions and anxieties and worries and fears. I know what that's like, but what does it look like to filter all of my life through the mission that God has for me? And the mission is helping people who don't know God come to begin a relationship with God through Jesus. So practically speaking, what does it look like? Here's a few ways, uh, hopefully, to help us remember of what it looks like to filter life through God's mission. Number one is this, remember the mission at all times. Never forget, if someone were to ask you, what is the mission? What is your mission? What is this church's mission? We want to help people who don't know God begin a relationship with God. That's the mission. Don't muddy the waters. Make it really simple and remember the clarity of the call. No longer fishing for fish, but fishing for men. Peter, that's your mission. So number one is remember the mission at all times. There's never an off moment. There's never where a light switch goes off and I'm like, oh, I'm not on that mission anymore. If I would live my life filtering life through God's mission, then every moment, every opportunity, every conversation is an opportunity for me to help someone who doesn't know God come to know God. Number two, remember where you are is the mission field God has for you. This mission is not just for professionals. It's not for pastors or missionaries. This mission is for you wherever you are. So wherever you happen to be working, that is the mission field that God has for you. He's uniquely placed you, planted you in that work environment, in that neighborhood, because he wants to use you to help people in that work situation, in that neighborhood who don't know God come to know God. That's why you're there. You're not there just to make a name for yourself and build a career for yourself. You have been strategically planted there by God himself saying, this is my man in this field, and I want to use him to help this person who doesn't know God come to know God. It's remembering the mission at all times. Remembering where you are is the mission field. Number three is if you're going to filter all of life through God's mission, you will live life in community. There is no place where mission can flourish in isolation. If you would be one who is on mission, specifically God's mission, you can't do it alone. You need other people. And other people need you. 
Learn to live life in community, not in isolation. And if you're going to live life in community, that immediately means you're going to have to make sacrifices. Because if you're going to be part of a community group, that means you might have to get out of work early so you can get to community group on time. That means you might have to go to work at 4 a.m. one day just so you can get to community group by 7 a.m. That might mean if you have kids, you're going to have to figure out what you can do with childcare so you can get in a community group. If you're going to live life in community, there are sacrifices that will need to be made, but the sacrifices are worth it because isolation is not. You will have an incredibly difficult time living on mission, specifically God's mission, by yourself. Number four, two more, and I think I like this one. This has been helpful to me, is live empty-handed and live forward. What I mean by live empty-handed is I'm not walking around with a net and I'm not living life looking back at the piles of fish that I I walked away from. I love this specific detail, they drop their nets. I often have to check, do I have nets in my hand? Am I carrying around something that I am not meant to carry around? And do I actually have rope burn in my hand because I'm carrying these nets so stinking tightly that I'm getting rope burn on my hand because as God's trying to pull this out of my hand, I'm fighting him and refusing to let this net go. And you can fill in the blank of what that net might mean for you. But for Peter, a net meant his entire livelihood. It was his identity. It was his security. It was his future. You take the net away from him. Who am I? How do I provide? What is my identity? Live life empty-handed. Because the reality is if you're living life clutching to a net, as it were, God's going to have a very difficult time putting in your hands what he has for you to equip you for the mission he's called you to. And if you're constantly not only living with nets in your hand, constantly looking backwards of, gosh, I remember when I didn't have that encounter with Jesus. I could just do my own thing. I could just always looking backwards at what you think was so good, that huge pile of fish. Man, in time, that pile of fish got stinky and nasty and just, and sometimes we glorify as we look backwards, oh, I remember that and I remember this, but we forget the emptiness of it all. Number four, live empty-handed and live looking forward. And lastly, if you would live with all of your life filtered through the mission of God, uh, remember your position. What I mean by position is we live in a culture that loves leadership. I challenge you to go on Amazon or go to Barnes this week and find one book on followership. You won't. You find the Bible because the, the Bible is a book on following. But we live in a culture that is obsessed with being a leader. Remember your position. Your position is not leader. Your position is follower. And if you position yourself well, Jesus, who is a phenomenal leader, will lead you well. Peter's encounter with Jesus. Absolutely unexpected, not planned, but his one encounter with Jesus absolutely changed his life forever. It gave Peter a mission to give himself to. And if 
I'm not going to read the rest of the story of the New Testament today, uh, but Peter had a profound impact on other people because of the encounter that he had with Jesus. I was excited to start with uh, this story in particular because it's such a powerful example of when one is encountered by Jesus, what becomes of them and what that person, how they begin to impact those around them. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you've already confessed Jesus not only as master, as authority, but as Lord, the authority uh, in your life, I would challenge you and ask you to consider, is the encounter that you're having with Jesus, is it having a profound impact on those around you? If you're here today and this is literally the first time that you are being encountered, as it were, by Jesus, you've got a decision to make. Will I choose to walk with him and follow him, submit my life to Jesus and his mission for me, or will I say, no, Jesus, get out of my boat. I'm doing my thing, my way. Leave me alone. If you have not made the decision in being encountered by Jesus to respond to him by saying yes, by submitting, by saying, I want to follow you, then would you do that today? Would you make the decision to say, wow, I want to be, I've been encountered by Jesus and now I'm confronted with a choice? Would you make the decision to say, Jesus, yes. Count me in as one who is dropping the nets, is walking away from the pile, as it were, and I'm following you, and I'm committing myself to the mission that you have to help other people now find and begin a relationship with you. Let's spend some time uh, just praying, and uh, as we're praying, uh, specifically you praying, respond to what Jesus has been talking to you about. I'm convinced every time we look at Scripture together, uh, God's voice speaks to us. And I'm convinced that uh, Jesus has been speaking to us today. Again, if you're not a Christian, say yes to Jesus in this place today. And if you are a Christian, examine what's in your hands maybe. Ask Jesus to continue to encounter you in a fresh way so that you can begin impacting people uh, and those around you.